Hi, Pastor Anthony here. At Vintage Faith Church, we stand behind the Bible's claim to be the Word of God, and we believe that the Scriptures contain everything needed for life and godliness. The Scriptures testify to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that this recording stirs your faith towards that end. This is in no way meant to be a substitute for the local church gathering, which we believe is critical to your growth as a Christian and your walk with Christ. We pray that you will find the sermon edifying and challenging. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. morning. Happy Father's Day, fathers. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. Thank you. A few announcements before we get going. Archery is beginning this Thursday. Yeah, and Tim and Meg Oakleaf are here. And Tim, did you start the archery? So the founder of the archery program is here, Tim Oakleaf. Wow. It's great to have you guys here. Um, Worship with us. Praise God. So archery starts Thursday at 6.30. We need volunteers and Russ is going to have some volunteers come in um, Tuesday, 5 o'clock, and to set up, to to put up the backdrop. So this Tuesday at 5 o'clock, we need some muscle. Um, So we could hope that you would come out and help us with that. And we need volunteers for Thursday. All right, let's dig in. We are going to be reading, the scripture reading this morning is Ephesians 1. 1 to 23. It's not going to be up on the screen, so if you have a Bible, open it up, or if you just want to close your eyes and listen. This is the Word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. 
In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your one and only unique Son to save us. That he died the death that we should have died. He experienced your wrath, the wrath that we should experience so we can have life and life everlasting. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts, open our minds, help us to see these glorious truths that often we look at and just we don't see them for what they are. So help us just a moment this morning, and we can only do this by your Holy Spirit to see these truths and to, to worship you through these truths. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. So, very interesting that Tim and Meg are here, and sorry to, to, to call you out, because I have an opening story that you guys are actually somewhat of a part of. Um, so let, let me tell you guys uh, a story. In, in 2012, 2012-2013, uh, I, I began feeling a, a call to, to ministry. Um, hadn't been in school yet. Uh, just felt the call and, and w w began to teach a little and, and was working through that. And, 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 and I knew at, at that point, in 2012-2013, in I, I knew that that's where the Lord was leading me. And at that moment, um, Vintage Faith Church was meeting in North Syracuse, uh, the community center, and Cicero Center Baptist was meeting here, um, two separate churches. Pastor Bob Prentice was pastoring Cicero Center Baptist, Pastor Ken Salisbury was pastoring Vintage Faith Church. Vintage Faith had a few, um, there was a handful of, of preachers, I was one of them, and Pastor Bob must have called Pastor Ken. They had a relationship and said, hey, I, I need someone to fill 
the pulpit. A lot fell on me, I guess. I don't know why. I ended up filling the pulpit. This is May of 2013, May 28th, in fact. And at that point, I had been praying, Lord, what, what are you going to do with my life, this call to ministry? And, and I remember thinking, like, okay, there, there's a lot of small churches in the area. Um, maybe he has something like that for me. Um, not at all ever thinking coming here that one day I would be standing in the pulpit um, and leading, shepherding this church as, as a pastor. That didn't even cross my mind. But that day, May 28th, I came in here and preached on the text that I'm preaching on today, the very same text. And I, I went back trying to look for my sermon, and I couldn't find it, and it's probably a very good uh, thing that I couldn't find it because I'm sure it was lacking in, in many ways. But uh, I, I had been praying, and, and, and God worked, and he, and he led, and he answered that prayer. And I would just ask you this morning, what do you pray for? What types of things do you pray for? Often, I think we all fall into this, uh, and this isn't wrong, but we, we fall into one type of prayer often, and that prayer is just we pray for our circumstances to change. At that point, I was praying for um, God lead me to a church that, that I could pastor. Uh, maybe you guys are, are praying for your health, a job, and again, there's nothing wrong with that, but I think far too often as Christians, we fall into one type of prayer. And when we look at what Paul is going to be praying for today, it's not an anomaly, meaning Paul actually almost always prays for what we're going to see him pray for today. And that is for Christians to have their minds and hearts open to see God's glory, to know him better. That is, if you want to sum up Paul's prayers, that, that's it. And, and I would just ask you, do, do you pray for that for yourself? Do you pray for that for those you love, um, for them to know God better? Ephesians 1, 15 to 16, Paul says, for this reason. And, and he, what he's doing here when he says, for this reason, he's connecting all the deep theology we just read in, in, in the verses before that. Um, you're chosen, you're to be holy and blameless, predestined for adoption into God's family, redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sins. So Paul is saying, for this reason, and because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So he begins this prayer. Um, first, he, he's saying, I know that you have faith in Christ. And one of the reasons I know it is because you love God's people. And, and that is the, the test. If you go to 1 John, that, that's the test for Christians. Do you love the brethren? Do you love the brothers and sisters in Christ? If you do, that is a sign. Um, and Paul here is, is praising God that he's heard of the faith of, of the churches he went to in Ephesus, he preached the gospel. And he's now writing to them, and he's, he's hearing, like, oh, they still have faith. Praise God, they have faith. The message took, it stuck 
in their, their heart and they're loving each other. This is good. And he's just praising God. J.I. Packer says this about God, the knowledge of God in prayer. How can we turn our knowledge about God into knowledge of God? Again, that's two different things, right? We can know about something, but we can know, know something. There's a difference there. The rule for doing this is simple but demanding. It is that we turn each truth that we learn about God into matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. And we see Paul doing that right here in Ephesians. He's laying out all these glorious truths, and then he's breaking into prayer and praise. I don't know about you, but I, uh, if I was to say that I had to struggle in one discipline in my life um, in the Christian walk, it would be prayer. That would be, I, you know, I can read the Bible, I can study the Bible, and I love learning, but, but prayer, I mean, you sit down to pray and you just start thinking about all these, these things, right? And next thing you know, I might even get up and walk out of the room, I'm doing something else, and I don't even remember that I sat down to pray. We're easily distracted. But one practical suggestion I, I would just give to you, something that I, I learned from someone else and I've been doing it lately, is just praying as I read the Bible. Praying it. So, so my Bible reading and my prayer are just one and the same. Praying it as I read. Read something, pray it back to God. The Psalms are really good for this, just praying the Psalms. Amy and I actually will sit down, read a Psalm, pray it back to our circumstances. reword it and just take that psalm and pray it back to to our circumstances. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, um, so so what Paul's going to be hitting on here is, you know, that the heart, the mind, and and the will. And and Lloyd-Jones says this, the heart is always to be influenced through the understanding, the mind, then the heart. Then the will. So what he's saying, it's always going to start in the head. This is Romans 12. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then it's to the heart. And then the will. Then you actually, so think head, heart, hands. But God forbid that anyone should think that it ends with the intellect. It starts there, but it goes on. It then moves the heart. And finally, the man yields his will. The Christian life is a gloriously perfect life that takes up and captivates the entire personality. This is our faith. This is our faith. Starts in the mind, to the heart, and then our life spills out of the heart. And this is why we have Paul praying for believers that they see the glory of God. Because if it's just, hey, do this, we don't want to do. We don't want to be told what to do. That's, that's law. We want to act out of, of love and, and our life be spilling over. And the only way to do that is to see the glory of God. All right, let's go walk through his prayer, Ephesians 1, 17 to 18. So Paul is praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you what are the riches of his glorious inheritance 
in the saints. And, and again, I would ask you, is this type of prayer missing from your prayer life? Like, Lord, show me who you are. Show me, I, I want a spirit of wisdom. I want to be able to see you. I want to know you better. If you can remember in the Old Testament, um, the Lord asked Solomon, ask, ask me anything. Give, ask me anything and I'll give it to you. And what does Solomon ask for? Wisdom. And the Lord is pleased with that request. So I would just um, impress upon you, do you ask for wisdom from the Lord? This is a good prayer. Do you ask for wisdom for your children? Um, do you ask for your children to see God, um, to see his glory? Tim Keller says, to have the eyes of the heart enlightened with a particular truth means to have it penetrate and grip us so deeply that it changes the whole person. So that, that, that's what Paul is talking about. Like, this is not just knowledge about God. This is knowledge of him that actually transforms our lives. Um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, do not forget, and, and, and I pray that you do not gloss over the fact that at one point, your heart was in darkness. We're going to see that next week and, and the week after that that we were without hope and without God. That is the state of humanity without Christ. But the light of God has shone in our hearts. And Paul's talking about a heart. So this is, it's, it's the idea in, in the Bible with heart is it's, it's intellect, it's will, it's emotion, and it's desire. It's all of those things that you're being um, and he's saying that, that God, just like he spoke in creation, let light shine out of darkness, he's done that in you for you to know him. He has spoken into your heart and took the stony heart out and replaced it with a, what the Bible calls circumcised heart. And brothers and sisters, if you do not have the eyes of your heart enlightened, if you don't know the hope to which God has called you to, you will not live the life that God has for you. They're all connected. It's all connected. Let me just to, to, to take something from Ephesians here in Ephesians 4.1. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk, to, to walk, to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So again, this is Paul just connecting it. You've been called, which we see in Ephesians 1 and all the, the verses we just read. You've been called to these glorious things. Now live like it. Live like it. Head, heart, hands. Live like it are the hands. And, and I would ask you this morning, and, and you can think about this in your own life, what prevents you from seeing? What prevents us from seeing the glory of God? 
I think there's a few things, and, and there's gonna, it, this is not an extensive list, but I just, as I was working through the sermon, I had a few things come to me. The first one, we don't read his word. We don't read his word. We don't drink from spiritual wells. Um, there could be a few reasons why we don't do this. Number one reason, we're lazy. I would, as your pastor, I will confess, I, this can overcome me at times. Um, praise God for technology, but also read my Bible. I got my iPhone next to me. Reading my Bible, huh? Let me check my phone. Lights off, look at my phone, and then next thing you know, I'm scrolling on some news feed. I mean, it's easy, right? That's just passive. Reading the Bible is active. We're, we're lazy. And we, we have to admit that. We, we live in an entertainment-soaked culture, and our minds have, have atrophied, and we want to just be fed something rather than do the work, and I would put myself in that category too. And we need to fight against that. We need to fight against that. Um, I also think we don't read the Bible sometimes because it's willful ignorance. If we dig into God's Word, we know we're going to encounter something that is going to challenge us. Amen. And we don't like to be confronted. <laughs> this one might be a little more difficult for us to spot in our own lives because we're very good at justifying why we do things and we're the, no one lies to ourselves more than us. We lie to ourselves and we can justify why we did this, this, or that, but one of the reasons we don't read his word is because we know. He's going to call out something in my life in his word. The last thing that prevents us from seeing is sin. Our own sin. The writer of Hebrews says it like this. And I want you to notice the, the progression here in Hebrews. He says, take care, brothers, Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. So we're talking about hearts again. Leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So if you look at the progression here, Brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart. So evil, sinful heart leads to unbelief. Sin leads to unbelief, leads to falling away, and leads to a hard heart, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So what prevents us from seeing what Paul is praying? Sin. Sin. Now, now, we are all, by nature, sinful. We inherited sin. The Bible talks about inherited sin. But we willfully sin. And some of us are, are doing things that we know the Bible is very clear against. And we do it anyway. And I would just say to you, if that's you, you will not see the glory of Christ. You won't. You're not going to see it. If, if, if he has made something clear in his word and you are saying, I don't care what that says, I'm going to do it 
Anyway, don't for a moment think that you are going to see these glories until you repent. Sin has real blinding power. And it lulls us to sleep. And we need to be awakened by God. Paul Paul Tripp says this, of this actual verse, he says, the blinding ability of sin is so powerful and persuasive that you and I literally need daily intervention. So he's talking about verse 13 here, exhort one another every day. What the writer of Hebrews is crushing with this warning and call it and call is any allegiance we might have to an isolated, individualized Jesus and me Christianity. Brothers and sisters, you need each other. You need each other. You need to have someone in your life that can approach you and say, you know what? I love you and I care about you, but that thing that you're doing is wrong. It's wrong, and you're, you're not going to walk and experience the fruit of God's walk. Do you have someone in your life, in this church, that you can do that with? And, and, and if you don't, I would just say start praying towards it. Start praying towards it. Do you have people in your life willing to call you out? In love, and no one likes it. When, when it happens, you're not going to like it. I can assure you of that. Anytime it's ever happened in my life, I have been ready to argue and fight. But guess what? There have been a few times I can think of that 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 has happened. And if I was still in that blindness now, that, that somebody that was gracious enough two, three, four, five years ago to call me out, I would be less effective. I would be blind. Praise God that someone was willing to to call me out on that. And again, I I would just encourage you to pray for someone like that in your walk. All right, so Paul is going to continue with with the prayer here and and see what he wants us to see next. So again, he's praying that, that the eyes of the hearts of the Ephesian Christians can be open, that they can know God more. And so this is not disconnected from the prayer. Ephesians 1, 19 Um, Here we go. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. This is the God that we worship. He's magnificent. There is nothing not in his domain and dominion. There is no power that can overcome him. His name is the name that is above every name. All things are under his feet. And that power that rose Jesus from the dead, Paul is saying, that power is toward us who believe. His power is for you, not against you. If you don't believe in Jesus, that power is actually against you. 
But if you repent and believe the gospel, that power is for you. You might be thinking, okay, why, why does that matter, Pastor? Why, why does it matter of, that we exalt Christ, that we see him um, as big and great? And you've often heard me say it, and I think I will continue to say this, and it's just a question, is your God too small? Some of us have a worship problem, and, and I would say, okay, it could, maybe, maybe it's sin, um, but maybe, maybe, and maybe it's, they're both. Maybe your sin is because your God is too small. And when I say that, meaning you've, you, you believe in Jesus, but you've kind of made him into something that he's not. Lesser than. And how do you worship that? Do you want freedom in your life? You want to be free from the need and affirmation of others. Do you want to experience power in your walk with Christ? Do you want victory over that one sin that just keeps coming back and coming back and you're hurting others and you're getting in fights and it's coming back again and you, you want to not do it but you keep doing it? Do you want victory over that? And I would submit to you this morning, it's not necessarily anything practical that you can do to get victory over that. What you need to see is that God is bigger and more glorious and better than anything else. Amen. Anything else. You need what Paul is praying for, that the eyes of our hearts are awakened to see Christ for who he is. Ed Welch says, says this in uh, a book that I would recommend. It's When People Are Big and, and God is Small is the name of the book. And he says, A growing knowledge of God displaces the fear of people and it casts out our tendency to be casual with our secret sins. And, and I would say amen to, to, to that. I, that that's, that's it. I, I you know, often when I talk to Christians and, and over the years and do counseling, um, I feel like a lot of times we as, as believers, we, we try to live our life in our own power. And that always ends up bad. We, we exhaust ourselves. We get annoyed with people. We, we, we just, it doesn't work. And we all do it. I do it. I confess that this happens often. But the the opposite of that is not praying for some or trying to, like a genie in the bottle, get the Holy Spirit to come and, 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 and work in you. That's not the, how we fix that. And often um, you, you see that. Like, let's just get excited in, in the Holy Spirit. And that's not the Holy Spirit. That's just your emotion. The Holy Spirit's not a genie in a bottle. If you remember what we talked about last week, the Word and the Spirit, they're, they're together. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit, they work together. You want more of the Spirit, you need more of the Word. That's how it works. That's how God works. That's the, the Trinity working. 2 Peter 1.3, here, here's a, what I would go to, to to say that his divine power right this is what we're talking about we want his divine power has granted us to all granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness 
through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. How do we access the power of God? Through knowledge of him. Through knowledge of him. How do we find knowledge of God? Through his word and the spirit. Through his word and spirit working together. Matt Papa is a, he's a worship leader, and, and Steve and I have been re- reading books for, for two years now on, on just worship. Um, what is worship and, and the history of worship in the church and what the Bible says about worship. Um, and Matt Papa is one of those authors, and he's, he says this, I am convinced if our churches will be faithful to make the exaltation of Christ our goal, then Christ will be faithful to make his missionaries. And this is exaltation of Christ, then, then hands, head, heart, hands. The answer is not giving people more programs or things to do. Let's be honest. People don't want to do missions or do evangelism. People naturally and generously give their time and their voice to the things they love. It is deep-rooted heart change that is needed. And the only way that that change happens is when the glory of Christ shines brighter than the glory of this world. Amen. Amen. And that's why on Sunday, Sunday in and Sunday out, I'm not giving you six steps to a better marriage or six steps to this. We are getting into the Word. And now sometimes the Word talks about that. Like, there's practical things in the Word. I'm not saying that. That, that is real. However, we exalt Christ. Because that's what you and I need more than anything. We need to get our gaze off of our own problems and our own hearts and put it on the Christ. And when we do that, we feel joy and freedom and beauty and we worship. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. So beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So how are we transformed? By beholding his glory. And that's what Paul is praying for. I pray, he's praying that we can, our, our hearts, our, our whole center of our being can see the glory of God. John Owen says, Only a sight of his glory in nothing else will truly satisfy God's people. That's what you want more than anything. The hearts of believers are like a magnetized needle which cannot rest until it is pointing north. Right? Doesn't that, does that ring true? It rings true with me. I know my heart often, we, we know we want to see the glory of the Lord, but we just misdiagnose it and we think, I need this. I need I need a new job. I need to move. I need to do this. I need to do that. My spouse isn't doing this. My kids aren't doing this. And and again, some of that can be true, but what we need most is to see the glory of the Lord. Believer, if that's you, if you're in here and you have a relationship with Jesus, you want nothing more than to see his glory. Okay, so Paul at this point is going to make a an interesting pivot in this prayer, and he's, he's actually going to set up um, a good portion of the middle of the letter. Uh, so let, let's read it. 
And he gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul's praying, and then all of a sudden he makes this, this interesting pivot. It's not that strange, but, it, but it's interesting. We, we have to take note, which he begins talking about the church. And he actually says something interesting here. He, he says the church is his body, Christ's body, the fullness of him, the fullness of him. So I, I want you to, to, to think about something for a moment. Um, the, the, the scriptures use the metaphor that Christ is the head and the church is the body. And then in Corinthians, it talks about hands, feet, um, different parts of the body, how the members of the church are different parts of the body. Um, but just think about a body for a moment. Um, if you were to lose a hand, you're going to be okay. If you lose an arm, it's going to stink, but you're going to be okay. If you lose a leg, you're still going to be okay. But you can't lose the head, right? You lose the head, you're dead. So the head is is that's the, the, the life. I mean, you could make the, the heart the same way, but Christ is the head of the church. Everything flows out of him. And Paul is saying here that the church is the fullness of him. It's the fullness of him. There is something with the gathered church. Now, this is certainly true of the, the universal church, all God's people everywhere, but the universal church takes form in the local church, just, just like this. Small bodies, some larger, some small bodies of believers who gather to worship and be on mission for Christ. And there is a certain fullness that happens in the church. A fullness of Christ that you're going to see and experience that you can't just you and Jesus. You're going to experience it through his people through different gifts. That's how the church operates. That Paul talks about some have the gift of evangelism, some have the gift of prophecy, some have the gift of wisdom, some have the gift of knowledge, some have the gift of serving. That, that is all, that's the fullness of him that I believe he's getting at here. His body, there's a fullness to the church. And I would just ask you, um, what, what is your view of the local church? What is your understanding of the local church? The, the elders and, and I were going through um, a few books uh, on this. One of them is called Church Membership by Jonathan Lehman. And, and Lehman says this, If you are a Christian living in the Western democracy, chances are you need to change the way you think about your church and how you are connected to it. Most likely you underestimate your church. You belittle it. You misshape it in a way that misshapes your Christianity. So when we get to the middle of chapter 2 in Ephesians through the beginning of chapter 4, it's all about the church. So the middle of Ephesians, the structure of the letter, he talks about your salvation and how that happened, and it's a beautiful thing, and then he goes right into the church. So we're not saved to, to just be off 
on our own. We're saved to, to be in this body that God calls the church. And it's some mysterious way Christ dwells in this body in a fuller way than he dwells just with you. Or at least a more um, manifold way, creative way. It's through, through people, through gifts. Somewhere around 2015, uh, I began studying. This is, uh, theologians call it ecclesiology. Um, and, and I've, for the last seven years, been just reading everything I can get on it. Um, I, I love it. I, I'm captivated by this idea that, that this, this local church, which seems right, it can seem unimpressive. I mean, I know myself. I'm unimpressive. Trust me. And we can look at each other and say, okay, this is God's plan? But it is. This is his plan. And it's a beautiful thing. He says in Ephesians 3.10, this is kind of right in the middle of the letter, he says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might, be, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Through the church. Through the church. Again, this certainly means universal, but it does not... It does not not include the local church. The universal church is structured in local gatherings. So in some way, the wisdom of God, that's the name of our sermon series, the wisdom of God made known, is being made known through the local church. And that's you. That's you. I'm going to read and and end the sermon with... uh, uh, a quote that, that I don't have up here, but before I read it, I, I, I just want to um, kind of establish a, 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 an idea that the Bible do, does quite a bit, and, and it's types and antitypes, and, and some of you know what that means, but um, to give you an example, David was a type of Christ. David is, is, is not like Christ, but he's a type, and Christ is the antitype. Um, the Bible's full of that, full of that, symbols that that in the Old Testament are pointing to something bigger and, and contain a, a piece of the truth, but not all of the truth that, it, that it, it's pointing to. And I want to submit to you today that, that this gathering, this, this church, is a type of heaven. It's a type of heaven to come, the gathering the actual physical local gathering. Let me read you this last quote and then we'll pray. Jesus established a link, a chain, a typological connection between your church and heaven. Your church is the type. Like that little communion wafer is a type of bread pointing to something bigger. Your church is pointing towards, representing, speaking for, demonstrating, living out the first fruits of something greater. That something greater is the antitype, which is heaven. And that link between the two is there by divine design. What's a gathered church? 
It's an embassy of heaven. Not only that, you should experience the beginning of heaven's culture. These heavenly citizens are poor in spirit and meek. They hunger and thirst for righteousness and are pure in heart. They are peacemakers who turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile, give their shirt and jacket if you ask for their jacket, won't even look at a woman lustfully, much less commit adultery, and won't even hate, much less commit murder. O nations of the earth, do you want to know what heaven is like, what it believes and it values? Do you want a preview of heaven's judgments? Look no further than the local church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we long to see your glory. We long to know you. Not know about you, but know you. Lord, in some mysterious way, we know you do this through the community called the local church. And that as we gather here on Sunday morning, you are revealing yourself through your word, through the singing of the word, the praying of the word, the preaching of the word, the reading of the word, the fellowship of believers. You are revealing yourself to us and you're showing us your glory. Lord, we desire to see more of your glory and we know that on this earth we cannot handle seeing all of it, but we want glimpses. Show us a glimpse of your glory, Lord. Open the eyes of our hearts and our minds. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in with us. We hope that you found this sermon edifying, encouraging, and challenging. To learn more about Vintage Faith Church, visit vintagefaithcicero.com. And of course, if you live in the area, we invite you to worship the Lord with us on Sunday mornings.